This podcast is powered by The Plug. Hello, this is Marisol Solar-Terlacher, psychotherapist and consultant. And this is the Resilience and Resistance Podcast, a podcast about successful Black, Indigenous women of color who have overcome trauma and become resilient. Hi, Chantal. Hello. How are you today? I am good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. I really I'm appreciate happy to. it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Um, so I would love for you to introduce yourself, um, tell us how you identify, what you do, and just what you think would be important for us to know. Sure. Um, so my name is Chantal Lewis. I am a um, Colorado native. I actually grew up um, in Five Points, a long history and lineage in um, Denver, Colorado. There are six of us total. Um, my mama had six kids, all girls, one um, little boy. Mm. I I serve on the board for RTD, which is our regional transportation uh, district. I am a black woman. I identify as queer and I go by uh, the pronouns she, her, and hers, Aya, uh, as well, if you would like to use those pronouns. I'm um, just really happy to be a part of this discussion. Yeah. So I had asked you to be on this podcast because you, I think that sadly, most of the time I know people's stories from the periphery. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like I know people's lives when I shouldn't know their lives. That's real. <laughs> I get it. Um, and then you are actually, I, I voted for you, Chantal, because you're you. in my district. I appreciate um, that. Yeah. So um, again, part of the, the, the impetus for this podcast was this um, understanding of a dichotomy that women of color hold in professional spaces, right? Sure. And um, I think part of that dichotomy is, you know, either our personal lives, the experiences that we've had that have informed our lives and how we are able to show up in spaces, yeah. you know, based on those things. So thinking about that and, you know, this idea of overcoming trauma, mm -hmm. I would love to just hear from your perspective what that means to you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So that's such a great question. Um, overcoming trauma. I think one of the things that sticks out to me as a uh, as a black woman um, is the importance of being able to one identify trauma in your life mm -hmm. and also being able to name trauma yeah. um, the trauma as an adult and also trauma um, the traumas the large traumas or the small traumas that you might have experienced you know as a kid um, and even thinking about my journey in in that identification and naming those things, I think as a kid, we never, we never talked about trauma, although we were enduring it. Yeah. And, and the same is true, right? For like my mom and her mom, my aunts, my uncles, um, we never talked about trauma. And so I'll tell you a bit about um, growing up. So I grew up in Five Points, like really during the height of, of gangs and gang violence mm -hmm. um, and, and remembering, and I can go back to thinking, and I, I'm so I'm terrified of guns as an adult, yeah. um, and going back and thinking about, you know, how um, drive-by shootings were just kind of the thing uh, that you expected living in the neighborhoods that we did, yeah. that you just kind of expected 
um, prostitution and like pimps, and you just kind of expected um, drug dealers and those that were addicted to drugs. It's just a part of the fabric, right, of the neighborhood. Yeah. And not even being able to name those things is, is as trauma experiences, you know, and things yeah. that um, really shaped who uh, we all became as adults, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And even and, and even thinking about like trauma and thinking about like the lineage of trauma and how we carry that with us, um, that no one ever really sought um, support, right, to be able to work through that drama, through that trauma, and name it. Yeah. And I and I think about how often we utilized as as I'm and I'm only speaking as a black woman here, but how often we utilized. Um, coded language to identify that we were going through some things, mm. but we never really like took a moment to sit and and name that we were in that place. Yeah. So you might, I, I remember like knowing my mom was exhausted, right? I, I, mm. I remember knowing that my grandmother was exhausted and, and when I would check in and even my aunt being exhausted to, I lost my aunt to cancer, but even like in her journey and in, in, in that, you know, asking like, how are you doing? And, and, and my mom would say, Oh, I'm tired. And, and like now as an adult and thinking about if my child, my, I have a 17 year old son asked me like how I'm doing, I will name exactly how I'm doing. So I'm sad or I'm upset or, you know, I just feel heavy. I feel overwhelmed. Um, and, and I, and I'm comfortable with my emotion and I never, I never remember my parents and my grandparents having the space to name, or the, even the language to name what they were experiencing yeah. and whatever whatever it was that they were experiencing, it was always under the guise um, and maybe protection of, of just being tired, yeah. right? I'm tired, I need to lay down, I need to sit down, instead of saying like, I'm depressed, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so when I think about trauma, I just think about, um, for Black folks in particular, how often we never really deal with our trauma and we carry that um, sometimes even to our graves because we don't recognize our environments to be traumatic experiences yes. um, or to be traumatic environments. And 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 as an adult, how important it is for me to just name right when something is traumatic for me, um, when something is triggering for me, right? Yeah. And, and being, not just say like that's a trigger that's a trigger for me but being able to say why like what it takes me back to in my childhood when I think about these large traumas or even the smaller traumas that I might have experienced mm-hmm. and how important it is for me as an adult to continuously do the soul work next necessary to be able to navigate that trauma in a way that's healthy but that's also in a way that is a a model for my child, right? Mm-hmm. A model for my nieces and my nephews um, to be able to name the traumas in their lives mm-hmm. and know that they can um, grow and be beautiful, whole human beings in in all of that, in all of that understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that idea, the way that you understood that of coded language, like mm-hmm. this is my felt experience, mm-hmm. and I can't. Are talk about it in a way that is about my feelings and my um, 
experiences. It's just about how I feel in my body and yeah. not having that language, you know, as or, or the adults in your life, not having that language for you to be able to model as an adult. Mm-hmm. And it seems as though the, the, Thing that you have taken on for yourself is to be able to model that for the people in your lives, for your child, for other young people who you come into contact with or people that you are in relationship with. Absolutely. And, yeah. And, and not without permission, right? Yeah. So like once you're able to name the trauma, right, to identify the trauma, name the trauma, you also have to give your permit yourself permission, mm-hmm. right? Um, to to move forward and it is to say what it is. Um, And so that was also really important for me. And it came at a cost, right? I, 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 when they, when folks talk about rock bottom, like I know what rock bottom is in my Mm. personal life. And it was because I never named the thing that I was experiencing as a traumatic event. Um, I lost my fiance in a car accident unexpectedly. Right. He went to work and he never came home. And 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 as as if his death wasn't enough, but there was so much more surrounding his death that was just like trauma packed onto trauma, packed onto trauma. And I just remember I I just remember hearing. um, So he he is Mexican. His his mother is Mexican. And I remember hearing messages from both my uh, Mexican side of my family, my, the black folks in my family, and saying, um, you know, strong black women don't cry, right? Yeah. And and doing just that, right? Being very stoic yeah. about uh, my approach to to his untimely death, and never naming that I was really freaking sad, right? Yeah. I was so so depressed, and I never cried. And I remember just like packing all that that emotion. Mm-hmm. in um and, and and it's like right like packing a gun right like yeah at point that yeah. you you explode and mm-hmm. and it did it took a while but i i reached one of the lowest points of my life um and, and not in a negative way it was just like it was so i was so i was so much of a shell of who I normally am that I had no choice but to deal with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that. Amarisol Solar Derlacher, as a trauma expert who's worked in the field for almost 20 years, I'm transitioning from clinical practice to offering workshops, training, and coaching to mid sized companies, organizations, and nonprofits. I partner with companies and organizations who are interested in building the resilience of their staff and empowering them regarding their mental health and well-being. If this is you, reach out to me so we can start a conversation about how I can help. If you know someone who might be interested, feel free to pass along this information. You can find more at my website and the link can be found in the show notes. Again, as always, thank you so much for listening. That analogy of, you know, if you get the message, right, and then as a black woman getting the message that you're not allowed to have feelings, you're not Mm -hmm. allowed to be sad, you have to be strong, and continuing to pack that down and to stuff it down is essentially or effectively going to blow up at some point. Like Mm -hmm. There's no way to continue to shove down grief and sadness and pain and not think that it'll eventually have an impact. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to hear from you what what started to break that down for you 
in terms of being able to address that and and touch into the sadness and the grief for yourself? Yeah, I, I wasn't well, right? So I talked about me being a shell of a person. Yeah. The, the behaviors that I started to exhibit were so far away from who I was um, that I had no choice but to seek help. And I actually had, at this time, who was a really dear friend of mine and is now my life partner, but who who was like, yo, G. <laughs> she was just so real about like, yo, you need to talk to somebody, right? Like, yeah. You were having a really hard time and, you know, like the behaviors that you're exhibiting are making me really nervous. Yeah. And, and I'm also not afraid to say this publicly. I was suicidal. Yeah. I and, and it wasn't because I was like, I'm better not here. I just I just could not figure out how to exist in this world as this sad shell of a person that I was. Yeah. And I was like, I, you know, I, I just don't know another answer yeah and and my partner at this time was able to give me another a better answer right and and said you like go talk to someone it's okay and and when I talked to this the my therapist I actually talked to a bunch of people um but when I talked to this person she gave me the most easiest uh, analogy to understand what I was going through mm. and gave me a way to get out of it, mm. right? Not an easy way, but at least a way to get out of it and, and recognizing that it was within my hands. And she said in my control as well. And she said, you know, right now, if you, you think of your brain, how you might think of your body. Mm. So when you, you know, your body gets in a cold, um, that your body is sick. And if you rest, you know, or if you drink teas or if you take medication, um, or, you know, if you do these myriad of things, your body begins to heal. Yeah. And so you think about what you're going through right now is that your brain is sick, mm -hmm. right? And, and your brain is sad and your brain needs things to heal. Yeah. And so we can talk about what those things might be, right? Like that might be medication for you, or that might just be a journal, or that might be group therapy, or that might be individual therapy. And so she gave me just such a myriad of options. And I'm and I will not say by any means that I, you know, was so deeply depressed. And then a week later, I was like, okay, I'm better. <laughs> right, right, right. right. It was a, a year, two, three year long journey. Yeah. Um, and I'm still on it. Right. Yeah. If I could talk to my therapist every single day. I would. Mm -hmm. it's great. Um, but I'm still on the journey. But it, it gave me someone who I could be completely honest with, completely vulnerable with. And 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 and, and that person helped me to name um, my feelings and my emotions as normal things for us to live with and exist with as humans right yes, yeah. like it was okay for me to be a black woman and also to be sad yeah it was okay for me to be a black woman and to also be depressed yes, right yeah. it was also okay for me to be a black woman and to get be angry yeah. right yes right. yeah right and to peel the layers of of messages that a lot of those things hold mm -hmm. um for black women for women of color right mm -hmm. angry right sad right mm -hmm. strong all of these um things that it, that could be true that were both true right? right it wasn't and or it was both and and she helped me journey yeah um, through that in a way that i felt comfortable with yeah so i said like i don't want to take any medication 
um, she was cool with that. Yeah. She was like, all right, we're just going to have to do some extra work. And that's okay. <laughs> right, <Yeah>. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And being able to find someone who can actually walk alongside you in that and continue exactly. to be able to accept where you are in any given moment and what you need to do and to be very honest about what the journey is going to be for you. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious in that process of therapy and really trying to address the grief and the sadness and the loss of your fiance, did it, did that also feel like a tool to be able to unpack some earlier traumas and some things that were maybe unknown to you or you really weren't able to see before? Oh, yeah, that's oh, absolutely, which is why I said the journey never stops, you yeah. know, yeah, like, yeah, think about all the traumas, it, it, it helped me and especially as I was learning about just trauma in general, and how our, our brain responds, like, are you someone who fights, right? Are you yeah. someone who flights? Um, are you someone who freezes, right? Yeah, giving me the tools to understand in different situations. And even now in my professional world, Right when I receive an email that is is nasty in nature, yeah. right? Or if I receive um, a call of someone who's really frustrated and angry with me, it helps me to understand like what when I'm if I might retreat, why I do that. Yeah. You know, what were the things that I was experiencing as a child and in a young adult mm-hmm. that helped me to cope right with that era of my of my life yeah. um, that I brought into cha- into my adulthood that I may or may no longer need it may or may no longer serve the purpose that it did previously but i still do it right right right. um so absolutely it begins to you begin to uncover those things and 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 at first they're very very painful right and you want to shy and hide away from them but once you realize how um how much lighter you exist in the Mm -hmm. in the world it it's the incentive you need right Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. To keep along the journey, no how, no matter how painful, because you recognize the beauty that's on the other side of it. Yeah, yeah. To be able to walk through that pain in order to get to the other side of healing. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and I love that connection that you made in terms of your trauma responses and how you adapted to childhood, and then how that would play out in your professional life. And being able to make that connection for yourself. And I think that so many women of color in professional positions uh, that have um, those types of responses can sometimes feel shame or feel um, uh, insecure, unsure about those responses because it Mm -hmm. feels like a weakness or a vulnerability in some way. Mm -hmm. And um, it's... I think that being able to recognize that and identify it, and I think that, to your point, be able to understand how to work with it is so valuable. Yeah, and, it, 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 and you show up so much stronger when you're able to, because you know what it is, right? You can name that thing. I remember um, I was working at an agency, and and my work would always be questioned. I mean, my work is always questioned still. You know, <laughs> like that probably happened yesterday. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> this particular instance stands out to me um, because I was having a conversation with a friend and I was, and I told my friend, I told him, you know, this person is questioning my work and I'm incredibly offended by it. But not only am I offended by it, this person triggers me. Mm-hmm. But I don't even want to have a conversation with her. Mm-hmm. 
And so we, he and I were just kind of going through like, why does she trigger you? And, and I was able to go back to my, my, um, fifth grade teacher. Right. And this sounds ridiculous, but right. This is, this is trauma. That's my fifth grade teacher who uh, up until the fifth grade, I had been a straight A student because I love school. I love, love school growing up. I mean, I spent as much time if I wasn't in class in the library that was across the street from our house, like on the computer or reading books. Like I just love school so much. And up until that point, up until the fifth grade, I had a teacher who would always question my work. She would, she would ask me if I, um, you know, if I cheated off, I got a, I got a hundred percent on like a CSAP score one time. And she asked me if I had cheated off the person who was sitting next to me. Mm-hmm. Um, she would give me F's on my, on my projects for no reason. Right. And, and, and I, and, and not understanding racism as a kid, uh, so I was bused to a school um, that was predominantly white. Um, and the, the, the students of color that were bused into the, na- that the students of color that attended that school were bused into that school. And so they weren't from the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, but I was able to understand, like, as an adult, the reason this person triggers me is because she reminds me of my fifth grade teacher, mm-hmm. right? Who, who, when we talk about trauma, not being able to name that as a, as a fifth grader, um, not being able to name that trauma. Like it was traumatic that she would think that I was cheating when I was working so hard. Right. Yeah, yeah. It was traumatic to always be questioned and be to being put on the spot. And I remember in the, in the fifth grade, like I would have anxiety, yeah. right? As a fifth grader, yeah. I, where's that coming from? And so coming into my adulthood, when I'm having anxiety, I'm thinking, sure, it might just because work is stressful and like being an adult is it's not always fun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's fun sometimes. Sometimes, yes. <laughs> um, but it was actually because I I took um, offense to someone questioning my work, to someone questioning my intelligence, mm-hmm. right? To someone questioning my value. Mm-hmm. Um, to someone questioning even my time, right? Because I've I've put time into this this proposal that I'm providing to you and you're questioning me as though it's something that I couldn't possibly be smart enough um, to be able to create, right? Or to implement or to present. Um, And so it's it's been incredibly helpful for me as an adult Um, and not just my own journey, but being able to name behaviors that other folks pretend that they aren't what they are, right? Yes. Um, being able to say, well, I don't think you, my friend, are a racist. I do think there are racist ideologies that guide you in your behavior. Yes. And so when you show up, that's what I see. Yes. But I don't think you overall are a racist person. Right. I just don't think you are working actively in all aspects of your life to be anti-racist. Yes. Um, yes. And it helps you to figure out like what stuff is yours and what stuff is other people's yes. um because you continue like it doesn't like i'm going to be a queer black woman for the rest of my life right right and so it's so important for me to recognize that so much of this is just stuff um and that's okay yeah yeah and i think that two such vital points in terms of what you're saying are that trauma in itself doesn't have to be something um that 
I think that people categorize trauma in, in very like uh, lofty terms, right? Like, oh, I didn't experience trauma because it wasn't this or it wasn't that, right? Like, I, I didn't experience violence in this way or I didn't have, you know, however they they want to uh, identify trauma. But traumas can be very, um, for children can be very significant yeah. in terms of adults in their lives questioning them or not validating them or... Um, you know, being actively racist toward them. And I think that we tend to dismiss those experiences as non-traumatic, just as life experiences. And I think that is so valuable for people to be able to understand that those are very formative and life-altering experiences that impact us. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Because we're just like, oh, that's just how my life is, right? right? And you don't recognize that it's actually trauma. I mean, even think about and how folks who have been traumatized go then and raise their own children. Right. 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 And and they don't even recognize that the things that traumatize them are the things that they are using as tools to traumatize their own children. Right. Right. Uh, And I'm guilty of this. Like my partner was amazing. Like when when she and I first when she and I first started dating, I would spank my son. And so we had a conversation about it mm-hmm. where she was just real. She's always just been so great one, but she was real. And she was like, you know, we should really talk about this. Yeah, Kids, we, and she said, you know, kids are not just like kids. Like we categorize them as kids and we forget that they're humans, yeah. you know? Yeah. And we have to recognize that, you know, hitting a kid is not, going to get a kid to change their behavior. Yeah. At least that was true for my kiddo, right? right. And, and it was instantly, like I was like, oh, that, that makes sense. And I quickly learned that it was actually much more powerful for me to tell my son, Dago, I'm so disappointed in you right. than for me to spank him. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like he would have rather me spank him because <laughs> <laughs> disappointment was just like, oh no, not disappointment. You right. know, way too much to to handle and so when i think about you know the 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 behaviors that we carry on because we we don't name our trauma i think about parents who you know yell and scream at their children and this is not a judgment it's it's an observation yeah to yell and because i'm guilty um parents Mm -hmm. uh who yell and scream at their their children to to do something differently and so and i and i think okay if that was my boss yelling and screaming at me to do something differently, how would I respond? Yes. Like, am I likely? Right. And that would be traumatic for me. Right. right? That's a traumatic experience as an adult. Yeah. And so we think about like those Trump, those day to day traumas that that kids are experiencing and how they are are or, or not processing um, them as such and how those things are molding um, them as they develop. Yeah. And I think that interruption of that cycle is so important. And I think that, you know, again, you being able to articulate how you feel in any given moment and say, like, this is a trigger. This is how I'm feeling. And this is what is happening for me. Mm -hmm. And then also to be open to uh, your partner giving you that feedback to say this, this may be something you want to consider as uh, changing in terms of you know, I think are the ways that we grow up, it's very mm-hmm. difficult, right? Not, I think it, it's just so hardwired in us. It's so to true. Respond in very specific ways um, 
the and and most times the ways that we were responded to as children. Oh it yeah, it's very hard to break that cycle. It is because you don't know, and 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 it it's the assumption that there's someone around you, right, who's different from the environment that you've grown up grown up in, who can name the behavior as traumatic to help you be able to see that it's a cycle that even needs to be broken. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And she just happened to be someone who could identify that, you know, you are in this cycle and you can choose to perpetuate it or you can choose to not. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny that we're talking about this Chantel right before I came here, my nibbling and I were talking to my son about how he's never been spanked Uh (laughs) and he should be grateful. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's how it grew uh, up. And yeah. it was like not even like a, a hand, right? Not like, even a not hand. A an extension cord, right? Like, you know, like. We've never even tried we've never even raised a hand at you ever. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think the um you know, the one thing that we we did tell him him in that moment was uh, you know, I really did work hard at doing that. It mm-hmm. did not come easy, you know, and I think that there were ways that I would sometimes question myself in that decision around, am I doing the right thing? Am I, you know, raising him the way that I sh- should be raising him? Is yeah. is he out of control? Or, you know, all the messages that I, that came in from my childhood. Yep. Um, and the judgments that I felt around the ways that I was raising him. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I think that it takes a lot of steadfastness to do that. So, you know, I. Hard. So I, kudos yeah, to you. No, I, I'm recognizing that in you, too. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, the other point I think that is so important is is w- what you're saying around being able to identify the trauma in yourself and the ways that, you know, you're presently triggered and the ways that those things happen, you know, in our families and in our professional environments also helps us differentiate what is ours and what is other people's yes honey and Mm -hmm. and i think that is so important for people to understand so i would love for you to speak to that more yeah i mean i i if you think about the stories we tell ourselves right and sometimes the stories what the stories that are true and the stories that we make up Mm -hmm. right and and if you and if you're actively doing the work around addressing your trauma, it's much easy for you, much easier for you to identify when you're telling yourself a story, um, and when that story is attached to some kind of traumatic event in your life. Yeah. Um, versus what's actually happening to you in real time and reality. Yes. And so, for example, I'll give this this example because it's easy to pull from as as someone who's elected into office. How often um, we tell ourselves that you have to be perfect, right, to run for elected office, that you have to know how to raise money, that you have to be socially and politically connected, that your background has to be pristine, clean, right, that you've never gotten into any trouble, you've never smoked marijuana, like all, you know, all these, all these things, these, Mm -hmm. these, this criteria that you have to be in order to run for office. And and if you sit with it, it's like, okay, how much of this am I telling my, myself this? How much of this is society mm-hmm. telling me this, right? Other mm-hmm. people's stuff. And how much of it is true, yeah. right? Yeah. And being able to sift through the truth. And once you do, you might recognize that 
society, right, and the traumas that you've experienced are telling you that there are 17,000 millions of reasons why you shouldn't run for office. Right. And the life that you have lived, right, your experiences, even your trauma, have actually prepared and equipped you Mm -hmm. to run for office because there are three solid reasons that you should run for office just based on those things, right? Your background, your experiences, the fact that you know, I I, I mean, I can make these up. The fact that you know what what it's like to live in poverty, right? The fact that you know what it's like to live as a black or a brown person, an indigenous person, right? Someone on the margin, someone in vulnerable um, communities, right? The fact that you know what it's like to to not receive an education that's that is founded in equity for all students, right? Yeah. Not just some students qualify you to be a, a, a wonderful leader. But because we haven't addressed the things that have told us that we are no good or that we're not good enough um, or that we should question our ability or that we're not smart enough, mm-hmm. uh, we tend to live lives um from lies that we've told ourselves or that society has told us yeah. and we continue to persist in those lives yeah. and we hold ourselves back. Yep. Yeah. And being able to differentiate between the message mm-hmm. and the reality. That's right. Like you said, And then understanding that our experiences, even if we do identify them as trauma can equip us to do the work that we need to do in any position whether that be an elected position or a professional position or whatever we choose to do. That's right. Yeah. Because we're humans. Right. Right. Like the the beauty, it's it's interesting to use beauty and trauma in the same sentence, but like the the beauty of our trauma and the beauty of our pain is it's the thing that connects us. Mm -hmm. And I think we sometimes forget that that is the thing that connects us. Yeah, yeah, that it's easy to become isolated and to move to shame when we yes. think about our trauma. But mm-hmm. that the trauma and the pain is what helps us understand our humanity. That's right. And our humanity is what ultimately connects us. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. And the moment you recognize that and you say it out loud, you'd be so surprised at how many other people are like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that. I've been feeling that same thing for yeah. months. Yes. You know? right. Yes. <laughs> Finally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I have words, you know? Yeah. yeah, that us sharing our vulnerabilities, us sharing our experiences are actually the things that help normalize other people's experiences. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. And then, and it gives us, and, and if enough of it, us do it, it gives us permission to not only address our, our traumas, but to take off the facades that we present mm-hmm. because we're afraid mm-hmm. of, of showing people what, who we really are mm-hmm. because we don't find it beautiful or accepting when in reality it's the most beautiful thing that people could accept. Yeah. I imagine that your experience on the RTD board having absolutely no context of what that's like for you. Uh, just my own perception of what that must be like. Uh, but I, I, Triggering. I, <laughs> we want to talk about triggers. Let's go there. Let's do it. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> You're grounding, grounding yourself right now. Um, but it's, it's more a question of how have you been able to use that 
you know, that perspective in terms of, you know, being able to connect people to, you know, their own personal experiences, how those inform the way that they, the ways that they show up and how it informs the way that they serve communities. Um, I would love for you to speak to that. Um, Storytelling. Yeah. It's, I think it's so easy for us to talk about the data. It's so easy for us to talk about the numbers, the methodology, um, it's easy for us to talk about the, the financials, the numbers, and we forget that all of those things are attached to a story, right? Mm-hmm. To a person, to an individual, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so as often as I can, I try to tell stories about how people are experiencing the decisions that we are making as a board and as a staff and how important it is for those who are closest to the pains of our decisions be a part of our decision-making. And at the very least, if they are not, that their stories are, right? So one of the discussions we had that was kind of controversial, which was surprising to me, um, with the George Floyd um, protests here in Denver, um, and one of the decisions that RTD had made outside of the board was that they were going to cut service into downtown. Yeah. Um, and so and, and I think for many people they were like, oh great, that means that more people can't join the protest. Um, and I actually heard from folks who wanted to join the po- protest who no longer could attend because we had you couldn't get into downtown. And at some and for some of our services they stopped as early as like Stapleton, right? Quebec. So, you know, some miles from the protest. Yeah. Um and aside from that just being um, something that I disagree with morally because I believe people should be able to participate um, in lifting their voices, in participating in in, in protests, um, in having public transportation as a way to get there. It, we also didn't consider in that decision, like the protests and politics aside, the people who utilize our services for their everyday lives, right? Not folks who were necessarily going to the protests, but folks who were trying to make a living and put food on their tables, right? Mm-hmm. During a pandemic, yes. right? Yeah. And and we know the face of our essential workers, right? Mm-hmm. We know the faces of our essential workers. We know the demographics of our essential workers. And so I told the story about, um, uh, uh, many stories, but I told the story about a woman who was trying to get um, to work, who she works at the airport, yeah. right? And she wasn't able to get to work because of the decision that we had made, right? And no one thought about that individual. I told a story about a gentleman, and this was like, it still breaks my heart. A gentleman who had to stop his um, dialysis early because he would not have a way to get back from his dialysis appointment back to his home, Mm. right? And so, and so... uh, so, the, I mean, the strategy that I use, I can't tell you if it's effective or not. Um, but what I try to do most often is tell the story about the people. Because I can I can say, you know, I disagree with this. Here's my opinion, right? This, this, these are my judgments, et cetera. But when we start putting faces to decisions, right? Like when you know what the person who is carrying the burden of your decision looks like, hopefully you start to make different, more meaningfully informed decisions that really centers those individuals that are going to be burdened by your decisions. Yeah, yeah, I love that. It's the storytelling brings the humanity to the decision making. 
Yes. And the the understanding of who is impacted, not just not just the numbers that of individuals that are impacted or how that impacts, you know, the city overall, but who these people are. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. This is Teresa Smith, right? She has three kiddos. She works at Safeway and she takes the number 15, right? And then she takes right the, the 65. Yeah. Her bus ride is three hours. Yeah. That doesn't include her dropping her kiddos off at school and daycare. Yeah. Right? You have to personalize those things because many times the folks who are making decisions have never felt it. Yeah. Right? They've only studied the theoretical, right? Yeah. And rarely understand what it feels like um, when you put it in practice. Yeah, yeah. So premise of this podcast is successful Black, Indigenous, and women of color who have overcome trauma and are becoming resilient. So I would love to hear from you what becoming resilient means to you. So I, this is such a timely question. And the reason it's timely is because I last Saturday or maybe the Saturday before. Um, so I also on my job, I lead a group called Radical Self-Care. And so if you know the history of Radical Self-Care and Audre Lorde, and um, the quote that she has around radical self-care mm-hmm. uh, not being an indulgence. I um, was recently um, invited to participate for a black and black indigenous um, women. Um, a I'm going to call it a play day. I don't know what to call it, but <laughs> it was just like it was an opportunity for us to remember how important play is in our lives Um, and how as children, right? When our parents were telling us to go play outside or when we were jump roping with our friends or when we were playing like patty cake, right? Or when we were playing um, anything with our our friends, tetherball. How that was was healing for us, but how Mm. it was also an opportunity for us to cope, right? Um, Opportunity for us to 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 release the stressors mm-hmm. uh, of, of our days. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I think about resilience, like I don't just think about strength. I think about resisting, yeah. right? This urge and these titles to tell us what adults look like, yeah. right? What strong adults look like. And for me, um, when I am my most whole self, right? When I am showing up as Chantel, as peacefully, as grounded, as authentically as I can, it's someone who has a lot of play in their life, mm. a lot of play uh, to deal with being an adult, right? Yeah. And, and it's my revolutionary act that I do um, when things are really, really hard. And even when they're not, right, to prepare me for when things are hard. Yeah. Um, and so I would say that's what resiliency for me looks like. It's not being success. It's it's not it, it's not like being the only one in the room, right? That's hard. We know that's hard. Yeah. It's hard to be a queer black woman on the RTD board because my lived experience, the people that I know are, are so much different than my counterparts. What's hard is maintaining the strength to continue to show up to a space that is so unfamiliar with your anxiety that your mere presence for them is kind of 
not an attack, but threatening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's hard to be able to live with that. But what makes it easier, right? What makes me resilient? What makes me to continue to show up for my community? One, it's my community because I love and adore them and they deserve it. But it's because I get outside and play with my community. Yeah. Uh, and, And that gives me the strength, right, that I need. That gives me the space um, to think, to be strategic. Even if you think about games, right? We could play games that that helps you to be more strategic, um, Mm -hmm. that that helps you to be able to think critically, that helps you to be able to make um, better decisions. And so play, like play. I just can't say it enough, like play, like what do you love to do? I ordered a skip it. Do you remember those? Oh my gosh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Like so, I just like play. Like I set up a tent in my house and play Fortnite out of my tent fort. Right. (laughs) I I jump rope. I want to Zoom calls. I blow bubbles. Right. Like I am just playing because Mm. I think at this point, right now, in a space that that in a world that tends to snuff the joy from black women, from brown women, from indigenous women, from folks of color, that the bet, the, the, the most brilliant, boldest and most protective thing we can do for ourselves is play and, and just, just elude all the joy that our beings are. Yes. Yeah. What else can you say? Play play (laughs) as resilience and resistance. That's right. That's right. I I have a, I wrote it down somewhere. It's something, uh, oh, this, that helps me to remember, right? To, um, it's just, just a gentle reminder, but I wrote this down and I keep it at my desk all the time. And it Mm. says, there will always be something that is hard, that makes you feel overwhelmed, that seeks to destroy you. And to always remember, play is your weapon. Play is your protection. Go play outside. It turns out your mom was right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? I love that. You say you used to always tell us to go play outside. Don't. I'm like, I wish my mom would tell me to go play outside, but she doesn't have to because now I'm just going to do it as a revolutionary act so that I can continue uh, to show up for my community mm. right, when it gets really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And so I don't burn out. Um, and I take care of myself. Like it's self-care. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. I so appreciate you, especially after such a long day. Oh, it's all good. They're all long. (laughs) I'm going to actually go play when I get off of this. I I would not expect anything less from you right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, this is such a gift. So thank you so much, Chantal. Yes, pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much for your time and your patience. And if you need me again, I'm around. I, I will definitely ask you to come back. And we're going to talk. So. Yes. All right. And the only thing I asked you today is to do something that brings you joy. I uh, just want to remind you. I was just thinking of that. I said, I was thinking in my own mind, what can I do to go play right now? Yeah. Skip home. <laughs> Skip to your car. From, from the I'm going to do that. I'm going to do yeah. that for you yeah. as an act of revolution. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, oh well, thank you yeah, so much. I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All right, uh-huh, we'll talk care. soon. Bye. 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 Bye.
for my soul, y'all Yeah, for your soul, y'all This ain't a theory, really This ain't something that I made up a lot to believe It's not fucking selfish, like Thank you for listening to this episode If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world Now is the time The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer.